This is the Indiana Deer News Podcast, your number one resource for anything and everything that has to do with the wild deer herd in Indiana. On this episode, we're joined by Dan Eckstein, the Southwest Public Land Supervisor for the IDFW. We're going to touch on things from his background to his role and responsibilities in his position, managing public lands, interesting things that are occurring right now, as well as touch on the deer reserved draw hunts, which are now open until August 9th. That and so much more on this episode of the Indiana Deer News Podcast. All right, everyone, welcome to this episode of the Indiana Deer News Podcast. Uh, today, we are blessed to have Dan Eckstein, and I did not ask him before this if I was pronouncing that right, but he is the Southwest Public Land Supervisor um, for the Indiana Division of Fish and Wildlife, and he's here to talk. We're going to talk everything from his role and responsibilities to what managing public lands looks like here in Indiana um, and we're also going to touch on uh, the reserve deer draw hunts, and we're going to go in depth into those and uh, kind of just talk about everything that he can think of that we might be of interest in. So uh, welcome onto the show, Dan, and we're uh, very thankful for you taking a few minutes out of your day to spend it with us. Well, it's great to be here, and uh, yeah, you did pronounce my last name correctly, so thank you for that. Good, good <laughs> deal. It doesn't always happen. Uh, Amanda, when she was on, tested my abilities on that for sure. Um, <laughs> if you could just, uh, you know, just give us a quick two minute flyby of, you know, who Dan is and how'd you arrive at the role that you got right now? Well, I'm originally from Southwestern Ohio, kind of, uh, North of Cincinnati area. Um, kind of lived out in the country as a kid. Um, as a kid, I spent practically every day in the woods behind our house, you know, running around picking up rocks out of the creek, looking at insects, looking at birds, looking at wildlife, just just kind of involving myself in nature. Um, I did a lot of, uh, I was in 4-H as a kid, and I did a lot of conservation projects um, in that, and that kind of got me pointed into the direction as, into getting into, like, wildlife management as a career. So um, later on, uh Probably in my late teens, I started to get into hunting as well, and I've been hunting all the time ever since, it seems like. Um, I went to uh, Hawking Technical College, which is in southeastern Ohio, um, got my two-year degree there, and then uh, finished up my bachelor's degree at the University of Rio Grande in Rio Grande, Ohio. Um, a lot of people think, like, you know, that's a college by, you know, the Rio Grande River, which <laughs> it is not. It's it's a tiny little town in southeastern Ohio. But, uh, no, got my bachelor's degree in fish and wildlife conservation and then uh, started, uh, started out doing seasonal work, um, which is what, you know, that's how a lot of guys do it once mm-hmm. they graduate. So uh, got a job with the U.S. Forest Service for a little bit doing bird surveys and then after that gig um, got a job out with the Colorado Division of Fish and Wildlife as a stage grouse telemetry technician and did that for like a year and that was that was a cool job got to experience a lot of stuff that uh, never thought I would experience Um, I mean it gets really cold out there like 
negative 40 degrees. So wow. growing up in Southern Ohio, that was like, that was a shock. But anyway, so kind of moved on from the seasonal technician work and started working uh, for Indiana Division of Fish and Wildlife back in uh, 2012. And I started out as the assistant property manager at Sugar Ridge, which is the or Sugar Ridge Fish and Wildlife Area, which is down in Pike County. Then kind of transferred over to Crosley Fish and Wildlife Area in Jennings County for a little bit, and then worked there for a few months. And then I got promoted to property manager back at Sugar Ridge uh, Fish and Wildlife Area in Pike County. Uh, worked there for a couple years. And then 2017, I got promoted to the uh, regional supervisor for uh, South Public Lands. Um, and I've been doing that ever since. Um, so, yeah, I guess the, I mean, only other thing to add is I, I pretty well love to hunt and fish and I do that all the time. Um, if it's in the summer, I'm scouting or fishing. If it's in the fall or winter, I'm hunting something. And, you know, I don't, me and my wife, we live on like three quarters of an acre of ground in town. So, all my hunting and fishing pretty well happens on public land. So excellent. Um, yeah, I I love public land and I think it's a great resource. So well, and it sounds like you're the man for the job. How many of those uh, public land supervisor roles are you? Because I know you're Southwest. How many are there in the state? Uh, there's four of us. Okay. Um, one in the Southwest, Southeast, Northwest, and Northeast. Gotcha. Um, and what goes along? So like your day-to-day operations or like, what are you responsible? Who answers to you? What are your responsibilities that go along with that position for the, uh, IDFW? So in the Southwest, we have about 57,000 acres of public ground that, uh, division of fish and wildlife manages. And on that 57,000 acres, there's five fish and wildlife areas and then one state fish hatchery that and i supervise the employees uh of those properties so um property managers whether they manage a hatchery or they manage a fish and wildlife area it's a really diverse role Um, they do everything and anything all the time and so a big part of my job is is guidance um you know, questions come up. I'll answer questions. I'll I'll help them buy equipment. Um, help them figure out how we pay for different projects on their property. Um, a little bit of everything. You know, if, if an accident happens on the property, it usually comes up through me. Um, it could it could really be anything that way. Um, another one of my duties is uh, you know a lot of planting. Uh, so I work with the other supervisors and uh, our assistant director on planning where we're going in public lands um, and then working with the other division offices on what goals they want to reach, you know, like science and, and sampling deer. Our property managers help do that or doing, you know, game surveys. They do that as well. Um, budget stuff, you know, figuring out how, we can spend our money and what we can spend our money on, um, hiring new staff, figuring out what positions are, you know, a priority to hire over others. It's, uh, it's pretty diverse. I also work with, uh, our partners, um, you know, 
NGOs that, that help us do work on the properties and try to get projects going that way. Excellent. It sounds like you got your hands full quite often. Are you guys, you mentioned, you know, hiring and, and, and personnel and such. Is the DFW, especially on your role as far as management staff and such, are you guys going through a shortage or do we have a shortage of staff out there in those roles? Uh, right now, we definitely could use some more people in public lands. Um, it's the, the hiring process is somewhat slow. So it it just takes a while to fill positions, vacant positions, mm-hmm. once they do become vacant. Um, we're we're always looking for qualified applicants, that's for sure. If there happens to be anybody listening, where can they find if there's a listing or a job posting nearby on one of their uh, public lands? They can go to in.gov and search the the job bank there, okay. and it has all the jobs that we have posted. Excellent. Excellent. So when you guys are making management decisions on these public lands, you know, of course, this being a deer-centered podcast, we might go that direction, but don't feel like it always has to be because there's a lot of different things that, you know, impact the deer on these public lands that maybe we don't go into. But, you know, when you're looking at managing for wildlife in any given uh, fish and wildlife area, how much of a balancing act is it trying to make decisions? Obviously, deer is one of the largest, uh, I hate to bring up the money aspect of things, but, you know, deer do drive a lot of our funds. Um, they're, they're, right. definitely, they're definitely the largest uh, revenue generation for it. So I'm sure they, they are a primary, uh, I guess I want to say primary animal to focus on, but, like, how much of a balancing act is it for you guys trying to decide how you're going about managing these properties deer, turkey, fish, everything. Um, we, a lot of our management is really focused on public use and providing like a quality experience when people come onto our properties. Mm-hmm. So if it's deer, you know, we want to provide a good quality deer hunt. If it's turkeys, we want to do the same thing. And that's, that's where a lot of the balancing act comes in there. Um, and then we also, you know, we have a lot of different habitat types we have to manage as well. Um, and different wildlife populations from property to property. It, it, it varies a lot, um, throughout my region and throughout the state on the amount of game from one place to the other. Mm -hmm. So, um, you kind of have to take your management considerations one property at a time to figure out the best approach. Um, and we depend a lot of on um, our uh, property managers to to help us get there. I mean, they're they're on the property. They know what's going on. They know the the, the populations of game that they have, and they know um, how many people are trying to utilize that resource. So you're right; it is a balancing act. There's 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 definitely a lot of factors involved when it comes to making these uh, management considerations, for sure. What are some of the uh, activities that that you guys are, are, are tasked with, you know, that might be uh, trying to ensure numbers are good in the deer population or the turkeys? I mean, is it more about just observing and, and reporting that back to the various biologists and then yourself and, and reviewing it? Um, or, like, I guess where, am I, where I'm heading with that is, like, what are some examples that you could give the people that are listening that you guys that are managing the uh, – 
lands do specifically for the deer? Are there any activities? Is there agricultural practices that you guys are responsible for? Is there any kind of timber harvesting that you guys do with that in mind or anything to that degree? Yeah, we, uh, we do deer are kind of cool because they're kind of a, they're kind of a generalist species. So you don't have to, you can get away with having good deer populations without having to do a lot of really intensive management. Um, like, like something like a bobwhite quail, that's a species you have to intensively manage for if you want a good population on the property that you're managing. Mm-hmm. Deer, deer are a little bit easier that way. But as far as what we do, we do have um, our tenant farm leases, which a number of properties do that. And we kind of we use those leases as a way to manage the vegetation on our properties so um, we don't what we don't want to do is like intensively farm our properties because that's not what we're, what we're about we're we're here to provide you know those the wildlife resource sure so um what we what we like to do is set up those leases to where a farmer will farm a field one year and then he'll let it go fallow the next year um, and what that does is, so one year, you, you know, you either get corn or beans mm-hmm. or wheat or whatever they're planting, um, or whatever the manager wants them to plant. And then the next year when they're not farming, you kind of get that rush of early successional forbs and other plants that deer and other wildlife utilize quite a bit. Yeah. Um, that's a, that's a really good tool for us. Um, we get... We do hundreds of acres of management through our tenant farm leases. It it really kind of saves us a lot of time because we just don't have the manpower equipment to do, you know, large scale operations like that all the time. Mm-hmm. So um, another thing we do, we do um, some timber cuts on our properties. Those are a little bit harder for us to, to implement on a large scale. Um, we're, kind of held to different management guidelines as far as when we can cut what we can cut how much we can cut and so we have to we have to navigate all the guidelines we're held to and we we do that to um you know help other endangered species really like the indiana bat okay so the guidelines that we get to to help manage that species kind of impacts how we manage our 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 forest but um, that's kind of like for bigger cuts, we, we can and do um, kind of smaller cuts um, here and there. And um, we also do a lot of invasive work in our woodlands, um, especially Indiana, southern Indiana, especially in my mind. Uh, we have a really big problem with like bush honeysuckle and autumn olive that just kind of can take over the whole understory in the woods. So we do a lot of chemical application, a lot of fecon work, and try to knock that stuff down as best as we can. Um, we also do prescribed fire um, pretty regularly in our woodlands, and that kind of helps. That just helps keep the whole system in check, and it also helps uh, you know regenerate species like oak and hickory, things that we want um, for our wildlife species. Because they can actually survive those timber burns whereas in many of those invasives at least when they're young don't typically correct that's correct yep yeah they uh those trees 
they evolved with fire essentially so they can handle it whereas the invasive species a lot of them come from asia and they didn't they don't have the same kind of uh, exposure to burning as they do here so I know a lot of people always wonder this, but, you know, there's large chunks that you guys are dealing with. Some of them are very mature wood stands, but you guys are really restricted on what you can do. And you kind of alluded to the the bat is a good example. Can you can you take that just a step further? Like, what is that the, the endangered species of the bats in Indiana cause? Is it a timing issue as far as like when they're present and you only can cut during a certain time window? Yeah, so they they prefer that we cut in the you know the fall and winter months because that's when the bats are uh they're in their hibernacula so they're not in the trees they're a tree nesting bat Uh, they they brood um under like loose bark off dead trees so um and they do that during the summer months so we try to avoid um cutting then and then uh we'll you know if we are cutting regardless of the time of year we'll we don't cut down snags um, that could provide that, that roosting habitat for the bats. So, um, and then there's, there's different species that, um, different species of trees that they prefer that we leave or, you know, other species we have free reign to cut. So like shagbark hickory, that's the tree that, they assist, that's associated with the bats. And so we, we don't really want to cut those down if we don't have to, but something like a sweet gum, we could cut those down pretty well any time of year. Gotcha. I mean, the thing is, there's just not big stands of sweet gum in a lot of places. So you kind of just kind of pick them out as you can. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I know a lot of people that are habitat oriented and they know a lot of critters like that lush understory. And I think some people are like, why doesn't, our, why aren't our forests harvested more on, on the public land side of things? But you guys are restrained by a lot of different factors that your normal homeowner or landowner isn't, um, you know, oak wilt, I'm sure is a concern for you guys. Is it, is that something that's brought up the timing of when you can, if you're going to cut the oaks, I'm sure that's a tree that's not preferred to be cut, I would assume, right? Um, It would be, we would take all our management considerations, you know, we would take them and and look at them on a case-by-case basis. And we would work a lot with foresters Mm -hmm. to help us determine when, when the best time to cut and what the best, what the best trees are to cut. Yeah. And is that usually, uh, I'm assuming an Indiana forester, or is that when the federal forestry steps in? Is both of them involved sometimes, depending on the property? Uh, it, it really depends on the situation. Sometimes we can get guys from Division of Forestry to come help us out, or sometimes we hire like a private contractor to come in and help us mark timber. Gotcha. Are there any active plans or things that you guys are taking part of right now? Um, is there any? Uh, when do you guys do the majority of your burns? Do you do them in the spring time typically? Typically, um, typically we try to get most of our burning done by April 15th. Okay. Um, and that's so we don't burn up <laughs> all the wildlife that comes out after, after that. I mean, we don't want to burn up snakes and turtles and smoke out bats. So, um, in like grasslands though, we do like some summer burns and some early fall burns because we can get away with that a little bit easier. 
and um, that really helps with like that helps manage the structure of our grasslands so those are really patchy burns when you do them that time of year and that that patchiness is really good for quail gotcha is there anything else that you think the listeners might be interested in as far as what's going on right now on some of the public lands that you can think of as far as management anything that you can think that they'd be interested yeah management um any events any activities or anything well i mean we're we have we we employ all sorts of different management strategies um on our properties and we always have uh something going on um we do on top of our tenant farming we do like to get out there and plant a number of food plots and areas and that's not really to um feed the deer other wildlife so much as it is to get them in areas where we know they're going to be utilized by hunters so we do we do do a lot of that at different properties and with a variety of different you know food plot types i mean in the summer we'll plant cow peas or beans or sorghum and then in the winter time we might throw in peas or turnips or something like that um it, it kind of just depends on the management strategy there um we're always in a kind of a constant battle against invasive species a lot of our a lot of the management plans on the properties i would but the majority of them somehow revolve around invasive species um and reducing their numbers so we can get better quality habitat um you know on our properties and that could be treating those things could be anything from mowing or spraying um we're going to start doing some aerial applications soon via helicopter okay uh at a couple different properties which is that's pretty cool we can cover a lot of ground doing that um is that going to be the first time doing that oh no we've been doing it for years um things like phragmites which is like a it's a invasive wetland plant um people might know it as like reed um we spray a lot of that with helicopter because it's so tall you can't effectively spray that stuff you know from a boat so it's it's just easier to have a helicopter come in and and put chemical on top of it that way and that stuff spreads terribly fast if i understand it correctly <laughs> it sure does um and especially like a lot of our properties at least in my region we have a lot of like reclaimed coal mine ground mm -hmm. and it's it's really bad on that on that reclaimed ground um there's a number number of other invasives too that they actively planted on that reclaimed ground back in the day that i mean we have to treat it basically before we can do in and, and do any habitat work because it just it just chokes out everything so Gotcha. So it sounds like one of the main priorities that takes up the majority of the time of the management on these properties is just trying to encourage native growth and discourage invasive, really. Yeah, I mean, a lot of times we're managing more for the habitat mm -hmm. and maybe not directly the species, if that makes sense. We're trying to make ecosystems that work. Oh, um, yeah. You do that, you're going to have animals coming. Yep, yep. That's the way we look at it. So it's it's all about trying to find that ecological balance and, and just 
if you have that, you're, you're going to have healthy populations of wildlife. Yeah. I didn't necessarily put this on the uh, bullet list, but uh, Dan, did you guys notice an uptick last year of public use of the lands, given a lot of people were, I mean, how did that affect uh, the use of the public land? Did you guys see a difference? Oh, we saw a definite uptick um, during, you know, the quarantine period with, with COVID. People didn't have anywhere to go but outside. And so we were we were busy last year, really busy, um, all year long, really. Um, even during the summer, people would come out to the properties and, you know, just walk around. Um, you know, we... It was it was just a tough time because all the social distancing and quarantining that went on. I mean, we had to we had to run our our draws differently for hunting, mm-hmm. um, which was probably not convenient for any for anybody that was in the draw because we had to hold them pretty well outside to where people could social distance. And uh, and all those draws were I mean they were they were filled with people. I mean it was. It was definitely a busy year. And with that, with that increase in people, just to take it a step further, I'm sure you know one of the most discouraging things that's probably a priority for you guys too is just keeping our public lands clean. Increased human traffic, increased chance of litter and such. So anybody listening to this, if you've spent any kind of time on public lands, um, you know, do do Dan and his entire staff and everybody that works at those places a favor. If you see trash, pick it up. It's our public lands. We own it. And it can get, I know I'm frustrated. I spend a decent amount of time at, at, at certain times of the year on some public land. And it, it's, it can get discouraging seeing it. I mean, such gorgeous public lands are out there. And uh, I'm sure you've seen some, some you could probably tell, tell us some terrible stories of, of people misusing public lands. But just a little bit of a, I guess, a PSA, if I will, for, for taking care of these lands. It's not just Dan and his staff's responsibility, it's ours. Well, I, I certainly appreciate that announcement, and and yeah, it's it really is discouraging to see how people abuse public lands at times. I mean, it's it's definitely not the majority. And the the majority yeah. of our yep. users are are good people, clean up after themselves. But you know, you always get those folks that just don't see the value in cleaning up after themselves, or you know, just following property regulations. I mean. There's there's a number of guys that leave their tree stands up all year, yeah. and we have to end up taking them down because they're not supposed to be up, and that that affects other property users. I mean, if if I'm out deer scouting in the summertime and I think I found a good place, a lot. I mean, sometimes I'll get discouraged because I'll look up. Oh no, there's a tree stand right there. Mm-hmm. So it's just it doesn't make it really fair for anybody by doing stuff like that. The tree stands is a great uh, mention of something that, you know, I'm sure it's actually not just a nuisance or litter factor. Uh, Certain tree stands, depending on how they're attached to the tree, those straps, as a tree grows, it can kill the tree eventually. Oh, absolutely. So it's a health-related thing for for the entire, you know, the timber that it's on as well. So for those listening that always are like, it's not a big deal. Why can't I just leave my stands up? It's public land. It's mine. It's yours. It is, but it's, it's a safety issue. Um, somebody climbing up it when it's been up there for a few years, but it's also, it could choke that tree literally to death. Um, I've seen trees that it basically girdle cuts them. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, it's it's unfortunate. And, I mean, the same goes with, you know, like the the screw-in pegs that guys hang their bows off of and yeah. stuff like that. I mean, we we don't allow those on public land for a reason because it ends up hurting the tree in the long run. So. Yeah, well, we kind of started touching on, and you mentioned the uh, reserve deer hunt, so let's kind of shift to that a little bit if, 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 if you're ready to. Is that okay with you? Yeah, that's fine. So I guess we just kind of will work through it. You know, we are – it is open. It opened a few days back. I shared it on the uh, Indiana Deer News podcast uh, Facebook page as well, so if you can go there. But it's also – there's a page that sets up. But where exactly is that page at? And uh, kind of briefly start touching on the process that people can get to if they're interested. So if you go to uh, gov backslash DNR – backslash fish and wildlife, backslash hunting and trapping, backslash reserve hunts, or you could just Google Indiana reserve hunts. Um, it'll take you to the page where you can sign up for the reserve draws. And beforehand, what you'll need to get in those draws is you'll need a hunting license for the species that you want to hunt. So if you want to get in a deer draw, you're going to need a deer license. If you want to get in a turkey draw, you need a turkey license. Um, you also need a valid email address um, so we can, uh, you know, get that submitted, and then you can get information through your email that way. So when you get to the page, um, you're, you're going to click on Apply for a Reserved Hunt, and then you're going to click on Reserved Hunts, and then it's going to ask you for your customer ID, um that's on your hunting license um if you don't know it um then the system's going to ask you for your email license number uh social security and zip code then you're going to enter your birth date and then you click submit and once you do that it'll take you to the page where all the hunts are and the registration is free for the hunts all you have to do is click on the hunt you want to do um, enter the date you want to do it, the property you want to do it, and then sometimes it might ask you for how many buddies you want to bring, depending on the hunt that it is. Lifetime licenses are applicable for those listening, correct? Yep. So then, say you enter them, uh, is there a limit to how many you can enter? Um, well, there's a limit... So there's a there's a there's a limit on it depends on the hunt I guess is what I'm trying to say. So if it's like a deer hunt, you can do it like one time. If it's like a waterfowl hunt, you can put in for five different hunt dates, properties, whatever. Um, it it kind of depends on how the draw is set up. And what are what are uh, the weapons are all? Is it dependent on the property? Is it dependent on the time of the draw? It's usually dependent on the time of the draw. Um, for the fish and wildlife areas that are in the draw, like uh, Fairbanks Landing or Deer Creek, um, you can bring what's ever legal for that season. And are all of these done remotely? Will you be notified via an email? Um, a few of them are now going to in-person draws, correct? Yeah, um, we did change 
how one property was operating this year, Turnbar Slough in Gibson County. Um, we decided not to do a reserve draw online and just do a local draw. And that'll be, that'll be at the Sugar Ridge office. Uh, that'll be on July 31st. It's a Saturday. Um, so you could, if you were interested in hunting that property, you could go to the Sugar Ridge office and sign up for the draw that way. And could you, it was a great reasoning and explanation as to why, what, because I know there were some forum discussions on that specific spot as to why is it now in person when it wasn't prior. Can you explain that just real briefly? Yeah, so we, we were getting a very large number of applicants for, for those hunts at Turnbar. We were getting around 1,500 applicants, and the amount of no-shows that we were getting for that hunt was, just huge. I mean, we'd have maybe two or three hunters show up for every hunt that we had for a draw on that property. So we weren't maximizing the public use of that property at all. So we decided if we made it more of a local draw, maybe we would get more uh, local people interested in being in that draw, which would uh, make it easier for people to get to that property. Um, the thing about the reserve draws is, is that Anybody anywhere in the state can sign up for those, and they're free. So we, we, I think a lot of times we were getting folks that were pretty far away, mm-hmm. and then once they found out they got drawn, decided either not to make the trip or got busy or didn't like how the property looked. Um, it, is, it is more of a grassland property, so I know a lot of people like to hunt out of a tree stand rather than on the ground, and I think that had something to do with the low hunting rate as well. Now, some of these hunts exist for reduction purposes, and some of them exist just for hunter access purposes, correct? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, the, uh, for fish and wildlife properties, we, we don't really have a problem reducing our deer herd. Uh, we, get, we get enough pressure um, to where uh, keeping deer on the property is actually something we're probably more interested in, and that's why we don't honor the bonus antlerless tags on fish and wildlife area property mm-hmm. um, just so we can keep some deer out there. But uh, properties like the state parks, um, they don't really hunt their properties. Yep. So those reduction hunts are how they manage their deer herd. And just for those listening, those are a separate property, right? Or you don't manage those at all. That's under the state park side of things, correct? That is correct. That they're state parks. I only do, or I'm only manage uh, division of fish and wildlife ground. I mean, there's state parks, forestry, yeah. nature preserves. They're they're all under different managers. Gotcha. I, I I thought of that as we were talking. I'm sure somebody would have a question about that. Um, I appreciate everything that you've went through. Is there anything else that you think we haven't covered that you think maybe a deer hunter out there in Indiana uh, would like to know? Um, yeah, we're, uh, we got some cool things going on. We did have some pretty big acquisitions this year in my region. We got 550, actually more than that. Well, 550 acres at Sugar Ridge this year that we're going to be opening up for hunting. We got another 60 acres down in Spencer County at Little Pigeon Wetland Conservation Area that we're going to be opening up. So, I mean, in my mind, the more public land, the better. 
Oh, yeah. Um, so that, that's definitely good stuff. Um, another thing that we're working on is we're trying to encourage everyone that uses our properties to, to sign in. So fish and wildlife areas, um, for a very long time, if you hunted on a fish and wildlife area, we wanted you to sign in, um, which is you go to one of our sign-in kiosks, you sign your name down on a sheet, you take a card, um, after you hunt, you fill the card out and you drop it in a box. And that, that really helps us figure out how many people are using our properties, what our harvest numbers are, what people are interested in doing. Um, so, so yeah, this year we're, we we're, we're wanting everybody to do that, not just the hunters. So if you fish, if you're just out hiking, please go to those sign in kiosks and sign in. I mean, it, it's a little bit of an inconvenience. We understand that. Uh, for the user, but it's, I mean, it's just a, a mecca of information for us on the people that use our properties. It's going to give you guys a great insight as to how Hoosiers want their management to be done because you can see what they want to do, what their activities are associated with at various properties, and it's only going to make it better. Exactly, yeah, and I mean, that's that's how we determine a lot of our management. We Sometimes you don't know if you're getting or you have a lot of rabbit hunters out on your property. But if, you know, guys are signing in, we know that. We have that information. We know, you know, the amount of game that they're getting on their hunts. We know how many hunts it takes them to get a deer. So, I mean, all that's good stuff. Mm-hmm. And if you think you know. about it, everyone listening, you know, rabbit is a great example. There are a lot of guys out there I know that say the rabbit population's dwindling or it's hard to find access to properties. You know, that's something to where if, if you're sitting there reviewing, Dan, and you know what? We had, we've had we had a steady drop in guys pursuing rabbit on this property, and it used to be good. That's going to raise a flag that otherwise you may not have been as cognizant of. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's it's a huge tool on how we direct our management activities. I, I mean, I mentioned before we do treat invasives and plant food plots and this and that, but a lot of that is determined by how the property is being utilized and who wants to do what on the properties. So again, yeah, if, if, if you visit a fish and wildlife area this fall, just, just please sign in. It helps us out a lot. There was one other thing I was going to ask you, and I just blanked on it, so I'm probably going to have to let that go and and slide away. So thank you so much, though, for uh, swinging in here, Dan. It it meant a lot to me, and I'm sure some people learned some stuff today that they didn't already know. If you have any questions about the draw hunts, go to the page that uh, Dan had. You can always email me as well, and I can forward uh, you to that that page if you're having trouble finding it. but yeah, do you have anything else in closing, Dan, or are you good? Um, if if they need help signing up for the draws, they can go to our uh, DNR customer service, and the uh, number for that's three one seven two three two four two zero zero. But I think that's all I got to add, and really appreciate you having me on. I love talking about public land, so this was definitely an enjoyable conversation. Excellent. And I, I just thought of the question when you said uh, what you did about the uh, the number. How long is the openings until the draw hunts are closed? So this round of draws that has the, the deer draws on it, it closes August 9th. And the results are going to be posted within two weeks after that. Okay. So 
you should be able to find out if you got drawn or not. Excellent. That way you can start making plans if you get drawn as to uh, travel arrangements and maybe even pulling up some aerials and starting to scout and looking at maps. In closing, I'd like to thank Dan again for coming on the podcast here and having an overview discussion of a lot of different items and things that many of us probably find interesting even if we didn't think we would at the beginning or know what was going to get discussed so thanks to dan thanks to the uh, division of fish and wildlife when i reached out to them getting us in touch with one of the supervisors i'm excited to let everybody know that next week i'm going to be sitting down and discussing with uh, the purdue extension and some of the guys that are running the integrated deer study that is occurring right now that you may have seen or heard me talk about or seen postings about in the past we're going to learn a lot of what they're trying to do what are some of the questions that they are seeking answers to and and uh just give us an insight into all that and then later on closer to deer season uh, mariah is going to swing back onto the podcast here and we're going to discuss the deer summary some cwd items and just have a kind of a brief overview discussion heading into the season, and, and I'm sure everybody will look forward to that as well. If you ever have any recommendations or people that you think hunters across the state of Indiana would love to have sit down and discuss things with me, reach out to me, private message, the show, the podcast. Uh, many of you know Ty. That's me, Ty Miller. If you know me, you can private message me. Um, I'm active on a few of the Indiana Deer forums, both under the Indiana Deer News podcast uh, moniker as well as my own profile you can message any of those and uh, leave a comment on the podcast itself if necessary as well i look forward to uh, seeing all the recommendations and comments and uh, if you can share the podcast with any other hoosier hunter that you think would uh, learn from it and be interested in it until next time this is ty have a good one out there